like that scene from the fountain where like Shibalba explodes and Hugh Jackman like has the like I just saw God face with all the light. That's what it would be like. Are you talking about Star Wars? No, The Fountain by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> like he's a hack, but I like that movie. <laughs> I like I haven't seen that movie. I haven't seen that movie in so long. The Fountain. Like. It's like one of my yeah. favorites. It's exploration of grief. Oh man, man, I haven't thought about. I haven't thought about the fountain. I I also confuse it with the fountainhead for a really long time. <laughs> oh God. Sadie, you look like a 2000s webcomic character. Thank you. That's such a That's nice That's pretty much thing. my aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, like you could be in like questionable content or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the pinstriped vest. It's it's the it's the halfway forward beanie and the all black and just like I'm I'm wearing bright orange pants for the record. You're wearing more so, black than I am. I think it's only black from the waist up. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll. Cat. Oh, I hear cat. 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 I wish Arthur would would show up. Sabo Sabo's here and she wants to play fetch, so that's going to be happening. Unfortunately, she's obsessed with it. Oh, okay. I got, no, I got I've got a cold open. I knew I, I knew I had one. Okay, 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 okay. Your podcasting statistics will be sent to your parents. It's Library Punk. I'm Justin. I'm a Skullcom librarian, and my pronouns are he and him. I'm Sadie. I work IT at a public library, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Jay. I am an academic metadata and discovery librarian, and my pronouns are he, him. And we have guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Let's go in alphabetical order. My name is Allison. I am the director of Library Freedom Project, and my pronouns are she, her. I am Callan, and I am... Ooh, an engineering librarian. Let's go with that. And my pronouns are she, her. And I'm joined by my assistant panda, who may or may not be audible on this recording. Did you go and get your cat? Because you no, were she, like left she, out? she came and she inserted herself into she the knew. situation. Yeah. Arthur likes to be in meetings, so he might realize something's going on and come say hi. He's probably sitting on a chair in my kitchen now, though. Hmm. Welcome, cats. Uh, let's see. I've got this. Uh, we, we've got a we've got a clip. Uh, uh, I I didn't do this right, so I could do like the Conan. Would you like to set this one up? Uh, so we'll just uh, run that clip. The disposal of zero to one by Peter Thiel. I promised my followers on Twitter that when I reached five thousand followers, I would throw this book directly into the trash. <laughs> oh yeah. That's- Ah, that's such a satisfying sound. Yeah, baby. Yep. <laughs> Give it to me. Throw yep. it against the wall. And nothing like that empty recycling bin thump. Yeah, yeah. I had fun making that. I-, I enjoyed it. Thank you. So. How many followers do you have now, Callan? I have, um, let's see, what's the latest? I have 5,029 followers. So. Hell yeah. Thanks for making that fun possible, everybody. 
the thump heard around the world. Life goals achieved. Uh, I was recently looking to see if there's any way I could apply for Twitter verification, and I was informed that I do not have sufficient influence for my geographical region or career type. Yeah, or field or whatever. Yeah, I've been trying to sneak us in on that too, because when you're verified, it forces other verified people to see your tweets more often, Mm -hmm. which is a great way to annoy people who should be annoyed. Can, like... Non individuals get verified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should change it to librarypunk.cn and that way we'll get listed as a Chinese state affiliated media. Well, then you'll have the opposite problem where then you'll just, you'll be like shadow banned or every one of your tweets gets the CN warning. Yeah. All people will hear is the sound of censorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it right there. there. You monster. Yeah. Well, you know, Elon's gonna put a stop to the all the miscreants like me on Twitter now that he's got his board seat. Mm. He's honestly gonna rescue us. Yeah. My voice is so nice and husky today. (laughs) So, uh, did we want to talk about the library and the lead pipe article, or is everyone sick of that? I that's I'm I'm just gonna run that by everyone. Do you want to do it? I'm just gonna say for the sake of my own health i didn't read it there was nothing further from them doubling down on not retracting it right that was that was as far as i got my first publication was in lead pipe and now i'm like how <laughs> like it's not even like even ignoring the subject matter this like the methodology in it is shitty so like if you want to if we want to be methods queens about it like it doesn't even meet that muster but Yep. Yeah, well, I I saw it when it came out and I was just like, what's this conspiracy mindset? Like no discourse had started. It was just like the day it was tweeted out and I started reading it and I'm like, I don't understand what the fuck's going on in this article. And then I'm like, but it's the lead pipe. Surely they review these things. Maybe I just don't get it. And I closed it and never thought about it. And then like four weeks later, everyone's like, what the fuck is this article? Because like, There could be an interesting discussion to be had where if they had taken it in the direction of, okay, why do people have, like, my, why would workers have these thoughts? Um, Like, what is it about the workplace that fosters this? Because, I mean, sometimes I get, like, paranoid. I sure have a reason to, um, but, like, yeah, there there could have been something actually of substance there. But nope, <laughs> that's not what it was about at all. It's just so especially tone deaf to, like, in, you know, the times that we live in, that, like, you know, we're, we're talking about, like, you know, two years of all these library workers just, like, being straight gaslit every single day. So, and then you want to drop something about people who are, like, a little too paranoid it's just, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it is very especially disappointing from Lead Pipe. I don't know what happened there, but it's nice to know that like we're at the level with regard to the like with the discourse that like this like rose and fell and I didn't even have to pay attention to any of it. Like all sorts of other people just took care of it. Meredith Farkas was up in there. Mm-hmm. 
Becky Yost. I was like, I agree with them. I don't know what's going on, but I know that they're my homegirls. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's like all you need to know. Like, I will say that's a great library. They do some cool shit. There are some great people there. I'm that being said, up until about a year ago, that is also where Rick Anderson worked. So, <laughs> um, if that Whomst? tells the baseball player, Whomst? yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, that scholarly is. Kitchen. Oh, that guy. I'm, I am not the only person Those who's done this O's because were just excellent. Every time Jay has said Rick Anderson, I just say the baseball player. And I, because I never remember who the fuck this person is. For some reason I heard, I heard Rick Astley in my mind. So that's, that's where I went. Anyway. Yeah. I, I would agree with what has been said about it, both in this conversation and, and on the discourse machine. I, I think I mean, I don't know. I just, I gave this talk for Library Journal last week about uh, performative listening. And oh, like they do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And so this was in the context of a social emotional librarianship class, which I actually have a lot of, like, I think it, this class looks good from what I know about. But um, in the session, I was talking about how in the kind of my definition of performative listening is often like stuff when like there's design thinking exercises or collaborative strategic planning exercises that are constructed with this like hey we really want to know what your thoughts and opinions are type of mindset and then at best whatever you share is just ignored by whoever you share it to but then at worst whatever you said in that ideation session is just used against you in ways that you don't really even understand completely. And I really don't like conflating conspiracy theory thinking with passive aggressive academic consequences, because like those are much more of a thing in my experience. Cause we don't like conflict in academia. We like, you know, having these kind of passive aggressive nightmare like closet bubbling ups forever and ever and people don't really understand where they stand in organizations and this is true beyond academic libraries as well libraries in general and to sort of conflate that that like shitty conflict avoidant behavior from managers and higher ups with conspiracy thinking is like is pretty so it's definitely a, a, a take and a choice to make that in 2022 after two years of managerial gaslighting so yeah I also just like, I, I, I really don't know what is up with this kind of culture of, and, and speaking of library journal, I mean, this applies to them too. This whole like quadrupling down on these, these situations where you could just say you're sorry, you fucked up. That's all you need to do. <laughs> I think it would be refreshing to see somebody just be like, we fucked up. Sorry. We yep. fucked around. We found out. We'll stop yeah. doing it. That would be so yep. nice to see and they could yeah. do that and still address the fact that like maybe they did receive private abusive comments or maybe some people did go too far yep. but they equated the criticism even like the light ribbing with the abusive shit yeah so like they you know if the you know i, I don't want to don't want people to get mad at me maybe being like well if it happened i didn't see any happen that doesn't mean it doesn't but like if it it did that's totally something they have the right to like talk about and address like that's not cool that that happened but like they can do that and still be like oh yeah y'all's criticisms those are we agree or even if they didn't at the end of the day decide to take it down which i would disagree with and would still suck like i would have at least like them to have like 
engaged with the criticisms yeah and like maybe address why they are still keeping it up at the end of the day like despite the criticism instead of just going we got abusive shit i'm like yes yeah, but it feels it comes off like um respectability politics tone policing stuff like because there were some of you who said words we didn't like you are all bad and therefore none of your opinions have any sort of merit and I think that actually ties in with some of the other things that we were going to talk about today pretty well, you know? Yeah, because, yes. like, one, I mean, we've had Callan on, but, like, Allison, why the fuck haven't we had you on this podcast I don't know. Yet? It's not my fault. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, we've been doing this shit for, like, a year. <laughs> it's fucking rude is what it is. It's rude. Know, we haven't done a library freedom thing. I'm like, take what is it out on you us? during this podcast episode i i was waiting for the listserv to say that that anti-doxing toolkit was coming out because i was like thinking that would be a really great episode uh, so sadie well, was being strategic talk about that i appreciate that you mentioning that but you know um we're moving pretty slow on that toolkit well it's going well I, i'll just thank you for bringing it up sadie um we in LFP are working on uh, an anti-doxing toolkit. And the way that we have been building this is we interviewed all these people in the library world, mostly academics, because this is really the you know primary place this is happening. We interviewed all these people who had gotten doxxed or had been the victims of, of serious online harassment campaigns. And we were basically like, tell us what happened. Tell us like in hindsight, like what you wish you knew. And- Tell us what you wish you what what you wish had happened or what you wish other people had done for you, namely like your institution. And what we learned was a lot of things that we basically expected to learn that like the people this is happening to are like black folks and people of color and queer folks and basically anyone who's working on any kind of like race, racial justice, any kind of queer anything, you know, basically like anything to the left of of center, right? And also, what's happening is that their institutions are totally not doing anything meaningful at all. That they're like, oh, just ignore the trolls, forget about it. And then the outcomes for these people that this has happened to, some of them just left their jobs. They were like, fuck this. I don't want to, I'm not going to die for this work, you know, or I'm not, or, or, you know, to a lesser degree, I'm not going to be harassed for it, right? People who were in tenure track positions, like straight up left academia. So anyway, we're working on a whole thing that's like, you know, so you so you might get doxxed. Here's how here's what to do. Preventative stuff, emergency stuff, and then things for the institutions. Uh, but shit is hard and we're trying to get it really right. And so it's almost there. The other thing is we have no official funding to be doing this. So it's like a basically like wherever we find time. Anyway, but coming soon. Now that'd be really useful. I actually presented today at a women in STEM thing at work. I was invited to just talk about like the repository and like how to share your work. And the whole thing was like research visibility. And I was like, hey, do you guys mind if I do like a little bit of like feminist critique of Skullcom at the end? And they're like, sure, that's fine. And then I found out that like everyone else was like, go on Twitter, talk about your work. And my whole second half of my presentation was like, if you go on Twitter as a woman and talk about anything with a feminist critique, you will get harassed and it's your job's fault for not protecting you. And you need to demand, to demand better from your work. So when that comes out, I'm going to send that to them because I, 
I had no idea like who my audience was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be like students or like the faculty women's group. I had absolutely no idea who I was going to be talking to, but uh, I'm glad I did because everything else was very uncritical and it was very like, go have fun on the internet. It's a cool place with cool people. I think that this is all going to tie in well. So I guess that wraps up our, hmm, what segment would we call this? Enemy of the pod? So, Enemy of the Pod, that article. So, we are here to talk about Hoopla, uh, which is taking the nation by storm. All the kids are into it. They are texting about Hoopla. There it is. Yeah. There's so many Hoopla TikToks these days. This Mm -hmm. is overrun. It's overrun. I heard my university news organization is going to get into TikTok. They did not, the lady who was present, this was at the same presentation, the, the lady who was from the newsroom did not sound happy about it. She sounded exhausted by the thought. <laughs> My dad is slowly getting his TikTok follower count back to where it was. His TikTok is pretty good, but I still can't stand TikTok. Do we know that Yik Yak is back? We, when did that happen? That was some shit yeah. when I was in undergrad. Yeah, it's back. It's back. It's, um... I don't know that I would say it's better than ever, but it definitely exists again. The students at UNH were using it as like a whisper network when there was like a sexual assault thing that happened back in the fall. Like that was their whisper network. I was like, okay. I was trying to, I remembered that the other day and I was like, what the hell was that thing called? Yik Yak. That's right. It's, it's, it's an app now. And it was, it was always an app. Yeah. I, well, was it? I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I had experienced it as an app, but I. Uh, I don't live quite within five miles of the college I work at, so I have to make sure to be on campus to uh, to check it for what I, I'm sure is undoubtedly a whole bunch of anti-administration posts, and they're not even from me. Mm, yeah, raising them right. I loved yakbacks. Those were great. Right now, we so I'm looking at. The so I live in Boston, so here's some of the the top yik yaks at the moment. Feeling like shit. Does anyone have an Uber Eats discount code I could use so I can eat something? Beep beep lettuce. Doing too much thinking ATM. Shit's mad annoying. Honestly, relatable. Pretty yeah. solid so far. To the athletes who choose not to buy the f- stupid four hundred dollar scooters, we appreciate you. <laughs> I feel like that's a very Boston thing to say. Are there any sororities for the Fenway Five? I don't know what that means. It's probably so like a sex a, thing. Or like a yeah. secret organization. Well, it could be some eyes wide shut shit. You know, there yeah. we go. Mm. Two birds with mm-hmm. one stone. Mm-hmm. Beep beep lettuce is what Sadie's two thousand web comic avatar is called. <laughs> yeah. No, so that true. sounds about right. <laughs> yep. That's a podcast. What the, someone just plugging their podcast? Are the people from Beep Boop Lettuce in Boston? Is that it? <laughs> They're just like, hey, remember us? You, you never know, really. I'm looking forward to it just becoming sex crazed mania in like three hours from now, which is usually what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in Boston last night. Speaking of, oh, yeah, you were doing the sex crazed mania. I, I saw the tweets. You went? Did you, you went to see Perfume Genius? Right? Yeah, I was seeing Perfume Genius. Yeah, yeah. One of my my favorite little students who I just adore into pieces was there last night. Oh, the whoever did sound should get fired. But um, <laughs> that place sucks. Any the Royale sucks ass. Yeah, no, I mean I was very close to the stage, but um, yeah, some there some All of the, the like the bass and the the keys the sound waves were clashing and totally 
overpowering the vocals and it was not good but you know yeah otherwise it was awesome anyway hoopla hoopla we'll get there so what had had happened people noticed that hoopla which is a digital service that many public libraries use was platforming fascist propaganda and anti-feminist propaganda and COVID vaccine misinformation. That was all I saw so far. Pray away the gay. Lots of conversion therapy. Holocaust stuff. denial. Yeah. Uh, vaccines and autism. Uh, what else? These are the right wing's greatest hits, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the main ones of the self-publishing variety. Yeah, like I can be pretty lenient when it comes to fiction. Nonfiction is where I'm a little more uh, around. Um, yeah, around like should this does this deserve it all to be in this collection? So also like you know, Hoopla. I'm pretty sure Hoopla is only used by public libraries, and they don't get to like choose like collections. No, Hoopla's collection is your collection. Right. Yeah. 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 You don't get to like yeah. Probably what happened is they were like, oh, we want to have more titles than Overdrive. So, like, we're just going to open this fire hose. And at the other end of the fire hose, somebody's just shoveling in, like, you know, like, it's fully vanity published, self-published, like, really, really silly stuff. And the other thing about it is that it's not even just that it's there and doesn't belong there. It's that it's the first results yeah, for a lot right. of those things, for feminism, for homosexuality, for Holocaust, for COVID. Um, so, yeah, it's real bad. It's real yeah. Bad. And like, so- even if I mean, and not to say that we are or should ignore the subject matter, but even if like even ignoring that, it sounds like like. And I don't want to be like, well, only traditionally published things, blah, 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 blah. But it sounds like like the quality of the materials, regardless of the subject matter, is yeah, just it shit anyway. Like they just failed on so many fronts. Like, how did it even get that far? Like, your search algorithm is shit, obviously. Your collection development is shit, obviously. Like, you know, your quality control is shit. So that does make me think, though, um, because we are always wanting to get more content into libraries, especially as eBooks. And there has been sort of this back and forth about Amazon that just makes me think if we ever had like a legislative victory that forced Amazon Kindle publishing to be available to libraries, would they just make it available as one big block and you would have to buy all of the access? All of the Omegaverse romance novels. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, they have that whole Kindle Unlimited thing. They'd probably just be like, here, have that. It's basically I I had it for a while because so many of the romance novels that I would read, like the, the queer ones, would like so many romance authors writing queer romance start off on Kindle Unlimited um, because that's the better way to get paid until they start maybe getting more of a following and then they might move on from there. Didn't DPLA do something recently, like sign some agreement that would help libraries like where they did something with Amazon? That was DPLA, right? Before the crypto bullshit? I think you're right, but I don't remember the specifics of it. Yeah, it was something to do. Like I remember talking with uh, Kyle Courtney about it, and I'm part of like the New Hampshire Copyright First Responders. Like he does that thing state to state. Yep. I remember we talked about it and I remember him breaking it down and saying like, it's a start, but it's still kind of shitty. But like, at least it's moving in the direction of Amazon allowing libraries to have some of their like 
because like with Kindle Unlimited, that stuff is literally only like it's exclusive. It can't be put in libraries at all. So yeah, I think you raise a really valid point about the quality control and just excessive amounts of whatever the fuck problem that would would likely exist and in, in, in that type of scenario, right? Because one of the things that Allison and I and the other folks who helped us advocate initially for this, which included Sarah Lambden and Jenny Rose Halperin, who works with the Library Futures, we were trying really hard to get Hoopla to talk to us about how their selection process works and how things like the ranking of their search algorithm are putting Holocaust denial materials as like the number two results and in, in those types of searches. And we, we tried how many times Allison twice or thrice to do to have a meeting to have a meeting with. Um, oh, I mean, we, we, yeah, we emailed him a couple times, the CEO of Hoopla, Jeff, something or other Jankowski, I think is his name. Yep. And we were so cool about it. We were like, we would really like to help you fix this. And he never got back to us. We're not letting it go. It's just there's a there's a small pause while we figure out what to do next. But yeah, yeah, he had no interest in it. And I and you know the when we had part of our campaign, you know we we asked people to get in touch with him. He sent back a little form response that was like, "We're listening and learning." And also, we took the Holocaust denial stuff down, and they didn't like at least some of it's still there. And then they didn't touch any of the rest of it. You know, the the unanswered questions that we have are namely, uh, we want to know about their selection process. He said that it's a, it's a combination of humans and machines, mm-hmm. but he didn't say like what combination, right? I mean, because this clearly seems like an algorithmically driven thing, right? There's some pipeline of just like, you know, like some computer making the decision to to purchase all these titles, you know, from someplace. And, you know, something else we were wondering, this wasn't a question that we asked to the CEO, but just thinking about the process here, it seems pretty possible that there is someone gaming the system here. Because, mm-hmm. like, the fact that it's so many right-wing books of this nature and, like, not like, you know, like you said, Jay, Kindle Unlimited has all kinds of queer shit all over it, right? Why wasn't that showing up in the results for homosexuality? Like, I want to see- Where's the furry where's erotica? Where's the gay porn? Yeah. Where's, where's the, the Omegaverse? Where's the Omegaverse, right? I like and my so beer cold, I, my TV loud, and my homosexuals flaming. Exactly. We want to, we want to see it. So, so what's going on there, you know, because they're, they're clearly getting it from, from one type of source, right? So and we, who wrote the algorithm? Yeah. So we asked yeah. them and, and, and he didn't get back to us, but we do, you know, we have information and the information that we have is that they are paying attention to this very much. Yeah. We, we had a, I wouldn't call this anything like a whistleblower, but there was someone who works at Hoopla who was anonymously communicating with me for a little while. And I mean, they didn't have anything super promising to offer in terms of what internal measures were being taken, but it was clear that this was being discussed and dealt with in many different meetings with many different staff members for a while there. I I kind of suspect that there's a a couple different things in like the traditional big tech 
playbook that are afoot here. And one is like, I'm sure they would say, oh, whatever way we use to, you know, aggregate our collections is proprietary. And because we don't want competitors to do whatever it is that we're doing here at Hoopla HQ, we can't talk to you about how these things work in any sort of transparent way. The other thing is, you know, and this isn't unique to tech, but I think that that companies often like to wait for like the outrage cycle or the hype cycle to sort of move on from them so that they can, you know, they just basically like make a buffer of like responding to it for a little while and hope that people get tired out and stop pushing them. But yeah, I mean, I think looking into this, it started with the Holocaust denialist materials. That was the first thing I heard about being talked about on the Massachusetts library listservs. And then the longer we all looked into what was on the site, it just became just like going into a rabbit hole of this, you know, all kinds of xenophobic shit, conversion therapy, disinformation, COVID misinformation. And that was, you know, kind of linked to one of our other demands slash like hopes to discuss with the CEO is libraries don't have the bandwidth to be able to do this kind of combing through these big aggregated packages to make sure that they aren't crammed full of this type of system gaming bullshit. And it's, it's kind of gross because it feels like, you know, the part of the reason why we subscribe to things like Hoopla and libraries is because we don't have staffing or resources to do collection development of, you know, like meticulous collection development that would make it so that we didn't have to invest into like big content aggregating systems like Hoopla and or the price of e-resources too. Like there's an economy of scale with using something like Hoopla, but instead of using the dollars of public libraries to advance information that those libraries would approve of and want in their collections, they're just creating an open door for this shit to come in instead. Right. Because like, you know, and obviously like the model of like libraries not owning things anymore is bad. That being said, one of the perks of things like Hoopla and Overdrive is that like, if you don't own a thing, then like a book might get trendy for a bit and you might need a million copies so that everyone can read it. And then when that trend fades and like no one's checked it out in years, then it's not like, oh, you've bought a book, it's taking up shelf space and you have to read it. It's it can live in this collection that you license and that collection gets maintained by not by you. So there is the like the Netflix kind of model of it that is like, especially for public libraries, like I can see being very appealing if, you know, we had other choices about like owning things and shit. Yeah, absolutely. This collection development thing was something because my first librarian job was in a very small private university that really didn't have a library budget. And I was pretty involved with like the tech services group in the Florida Library Association. And I remember saying to someone like, we don't have a collection development librarian. The vendors automate almost all of this for us. And and they just blew me off. And I was like, this could come for you. And they just blew me off. And they're like, well, that's, you know, that was sort of my first experience with someone from like a large institution where they've just never experienced being in a small library with that kind of restraint. And but it also reminds me of libraries as like piggy banks, where it's like there's this service now, like Amazon is now allowing libraries to buy this service. We'll just use the library to pay for that money because, you know, God knows the cops aren't going to pay for it. So, like, we're just like an easy target to like buy certain services because we're the library and that's what we do. We buy certain services. So, 
those things kind of conflate together in my head and cause a problem. Yeah, I think the other way we make ourselves an easy target is the clinging to neutrality or intellectual freedom or whatever you want to call it too, right? Because there certainly are, there were plenty of people on that thread and that I initially saw in Massachusetts who weighed in with their feelings about not taking those Holocaust denialist materials out of Hoopla. Those people are dum-dums. Listen, you know, in 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 that way, I'm kind of glad that this happened, right? Because we needed, I mean, I it sucks that we have to fight this and I don't really, I don't know how it's going to go, right? Because Hoopla is already, you know, they're already unresponsive to it, but we're going to keep it up. Um, but, you know, the reason I'm, I'm glad about it is because it, it brings out a couple of these big issues that many of us on the left in library land have been talking about for a while. Like, you know, the role of, of centralization of collection development and automation, uh, the increasing use of algorithmic decision-making in libraries and in the world, all the neutrality stuff that, that Callan brings up where like, this is the logical conclusion, you know, that like the neutrality people think that what we get is like, this beautiful garden where like people can pick the flowers that they want and then they want to grow more flowers. But actually what we get is just like the fucking fire hose of the right wing because they're organized to make this happen. They're the ones who know how to push their views out into the world much more. They have the funding for it that we don't. And so, you know, this is, this is the thing that's showing us what's going to happen you know, what is happening with all all this stuff that's been taking over the library world? Just to extend on the garden metaphor, it, it's called weeding for a reason, right? <laughs> you have to tend to your garden. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Hoopla makes it so librarians can't because it's an all or nothing. You either have the service or you don't. You can't pick through it. So, And if they had better, like if they maybe were open about how they do their collection development and whatnot, where like, you know, libraries can maybe trust the kinds of curatorial choices that are being made. Like we don't have the time or resources to make those decisions. So we are trusting you to make them for us. You know, if that trust could be developed, you know, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, like we don't have these kind of concerns about like JSTOR. Like we, we tend to assume that like those collections one, they're exactly. more modular, but two, like we, we know that they're more or less better control. They also, JSTOR has a specific function that it's, it's staying in its lane, right? Like Hoopla here is, you know, it, I, I was about to say it's like going outside of its, you know, um, like it's like collection purview or whatever. But I, then I was like, where do these books even go? Because part of the, part of the argument that we're, you know, that we did respond to because we knew people were going to say it. It's like, fine. Okay. Maybe there's like a research use of some of these texts, right? There are people who study this stuff. They need access to it. Right. But like, that's what academic libraries are for, right? This is a public library collection. You know, the thing about the garden and the weeds and all this, it's like, I, I think that this, the, the neutrality people obviously like they're like, oh, it's fine. One man's flower is another man's weed, and we're never going to take any kind of position on anything. I just saw your hand go up, and I got distracted by the notification, and so I'm now so you sorry. go ahead. No, it's okay. It's okay. No, it was just that was a perfect segue into 
one of the things I wanted to bring up, which was when you're talking about like circulating collections, like that's why I think that that whole there's people who study this, they need access. That that's a that's a bullshit argument. They don't believe that. That's we can just dismiss that argument because I don't think they believe it. But when you have a circulating collection, specifically, it's like, what do we value? And this has been the theme that we've had for the past like few episodes is like, if you try and back this up with liberalism, you're going to say like, everything needs to be in the collection because researcher might need it or because viewpoint tolerance or something. Whereas the actual answer is being queer is cool. Being a Nazi sucks. If you don't like it, fuck you. And then you just... Yeah, I think the way that Ben Miller from Bad Gays, when we had them on, the way he put it was being um, like doing affirmation instead of defense when making collection decisions. Because like, you know, just because a book display isn't like overtly political, it doesn't mean that like choices and biases, like if it's like a display of cookbooks, someone still had to decide what's a good cookbook and what isn't. Right. Like these kinds of choices are made even when it's not like a hot button type of topic. So when people pretend that it's not happening, they like are idiots who don't know what they're talking about. I was just going to like in some of this too, one of my favorite pushback scenarios that I've had about collection development choices that I've made and talked about on Twitter is that by doing, by engaging in weeding or removing certain titles from my collection, I. Callan am feeding the argument of the people who call libraries censors and those that undermine their own value of intellectual freedom. And there always seems to be sort of this uh, implication from people like this that the book burnings and like litany of challenges uh, on school boards, school libraries, and public libraries that have been just rising up daily pretty much in the last year and year and a half um like they essentially it feels like these people either are just having some sort of like selective amnesia about all of that or they're likening the action of me taking one book out of my collection that doesn't align with my library's collection development policies with these book burnings and these conservative mobs threatening school board members Yeah, and I think what so many of the, like, neutrality, but since you dunking a book in the trash um, with that sweet fucking sound, um, is that's book, same as book burning, like, they always have that one picture in their head, right? And they don't realize that, like, yeah, that's Nazi book burning, but specifically that picture is of... um, it was like that German Institute for Sexual and Gender Research, and that Nazi book burnings were largely trans and queer materials, as well as communist, anarchist, and Jewish materials, um, anything degenerate. That's what book burnings are about. They're not about you making that sweet fucking sound by dunking that awful book. <laughs> it's about like burning, like not just it's about burning queer people and about burning communist people and about burning jewish people because that's what all this information is about it's not just information out of context it's information about people and by people and educating about people to other people that's what information is right because we're not talking about free speech we're talking about whether some people are humans or not you know yeah that's why the affirmation versus defense of right. thing is so important 
Yeah, if you're playing the defensive, like we talked about some of those letters that library directors sent and said, like, you know, the gender queer graphic novel is a memoir. It's objective. It's won all these awards. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. But you're on the back foot. You're already like just saying, well, it's really good queer material. So you have to allow these degenerates into our library. Like there's you just have to be like, no, queer people are cool. I'm going to buy like every Chuck Tingle book and I don't care if he's like pounded in the ass by Bill Gates because he controls my mind through the COVID vaccine. That's cool. It's fiction. I don't care. Like, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Like the whole like, oh, no, queer people aren't all sex grave perverts. They're just like you and me. I'm like, no, put the sex grave pervert shit in the library. <laughs> yeah, let, <laughs> like, let the sex grave per- perverts in, please. Next to the poppers. Yes. No, it's cool that people are sex grave perverts. Like right, I it, want the it, people it, in harnesses at Pride to like be in the library. <laughs> That's only who I want in the library. <laughs> it's serving to legitimize the narrative about queerness being pornography that like, oh, but not this one. This one's not porn. This one won it's awards. It's not just about sex. Yeah. Queerness isn't about sex at all. This one won awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually just finished, I just read Gender Queer while I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And like reading it as a gender fluid person was like, no, this makes total like sense. Like I saw a lot of myself reflected in there and I, it made me kind of stop and think with, you know, the discussions we've been having on library punk, like what would it look like if a library had challenged, you know, genderqueer and instead of like doing the defensive thing, they just said, you know what? We have staff and patrons who are queer. Sorry, they're cool too. Bye. You know, like what that would look like if like a gender queer, like gender queer was challenged at my library and what that would feel like, you know, what it would feel like as a gender fluid person to see that and see my library's response be defensive and like, oh, you know, oh, I'm here too, you know. I I get to be here too and why uh, why wouldn't why wouldn't we say that loud and proud? You know, we talk about like, you know, equity and diversity statistics and all of that shit. Why not just be able to say, yo, we have queer staff who love this book, who think it'll be great for our community. We're going to keep it. It doesn't matter whether or not, you know, it has awards or anything. Arthur. Arthur. Hi, buddy. I love that cat. (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I think too that there's God, I don't know. I feel like like library people, library workers, library directors are just so conflict averse too that I mean I just look it's it's hard for me to decouple this kind of current moment of book challenges from what happened during COVID and the combination of vocational awe and ridiculous social infrastructure expectations of public libraries that put so many lives in danger because of directors and consortium leaders sort of kowtowing to whatever political pressure was around them at the time. And I think too, a lot about in the 2021 last, was that the last midwinter? I guess it was, there was the council meeting um, where it was being discussed whether or not to pressure the CDC to include library workers and prioritize vaccine rollout. And essentially the the answer from the members of ALO, ALA Council was a resounding, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't prioritize ourselves because, you know, not only 
the vocational law stuff, but also because like we don't want to make ourselves a political target in the way that we were in regards to changing LC subject headings and things like that. And I think that, you know, that whole trying to elevate the literary merit of a work instead of standing behind equity and inclusion and diversity is like a classic example of, of libraries doing that whole like waiting for the other shoe to drop already sort of, you know, having brain worms from the other side of the political spectrum. I think that th- I think that we've got a lot of brain worms from right wing bullshit that have wormed their way in through all of these little cracks and our like deeply held ethics that we love to prattle on about. Right. Because like the intellectual freedom with no social responsibility argument is what gets us the Holocaust denialist shit into hoopla. And, you know, similarly, like these book burning book burnings and book challenges too are, you know, some people defend some, some librarians have defended the act of those burnings and bannings because those are representative of their communities. Yeah, so I think um, two thoughts. One is that, like, I think one of the reasons why, and this is not a universal statement, obviously, but I think one of the reasons why, especially for liberals, that a lot of um, fascist and right-wing, not necessarily talking points, but defenses are so popular is because there is a kernel of truth in them. And the right-wing people know this. They're obviously coming at it in bad faith, but they know that there's a kernel of truth, and they're wanting to weaponize that kernel of truth for their own purposes. But then, like, the liberals be like, well, you know, they've got a point, and aren't thinking beyond that, right? Um, because, like, the I, like, because I'm one of those people, it's like, you know, anytime there's, like, some asshole that gets invited to a campus, right? And everyone's like, don't let him come on. And I'm like... Okay, yes, I agree with you, but also giving that kind of power to the administration of my university sounds like a bad idea. Like, because I'm always one of those people, but then I'm like, oh no, like I'm falling into the trap. But then, like, I have the good reason. (laughs) Anyway, my second point is that, like, I think also at the heart of a lot of this, I mean, obviously, some librarians buy into it too. Um, librarians if you buy into this sorry you suck um and you're part of the problem and i'm not afraid to say that Uh, (laughs) like yeah fuck you basically but there's been this tension like and this plays into vocational awe as well of like do we provide service to the public you know or our patron base or our communities or are we servants to them and i know this is something that uh violet fox talks a lot about with regards to cataloging especially now that like um and i'm totally like guilty of this language of like the user centric and user focused like in job ads and stuff because like yes we should be thinking of the people who are going to use this like who is our you know not singular library community but who are the people who use our our community but also when do we get to say I have authority on this and I'm going to use my judgment to make decisions about this, even if my patron base doesn't like it. And I feel like that's what some of this tension is, is because like genuinely some of these libraries communities might not want those books. Their communities fucking suck. Their communities (laughs) fucking suck. And I know a lot of libraries will like self-censor because they know their communities fucking suck and they might want to do, you know, a pride display but they know that they'll receive nothing but hell about it so i feel like that's another issue here is 
when do we get to stop being servants? And like, when do we actually as workers, like get to be like, no, I, you know, I have expertise in that, whether I have a degree in it or not, you know, this is my realm and I'm sorry, but I'm going to affirm these choices and these people. And if you don't like it, sorry, I'm the librarian and you're not. Like, when do we get to pull that card, I guess? <laughs> and and I think that kind of ties back even into the anti-doxing thing, because like if institutions had an approach for this, like being able to support their workers when it gets to a point where collection librarians get to do their fucking jobs, then, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about the uh, outtake on just the entire individual having to deal with that, all of that pressure and you know harassment and everything it would it would be it would hopefully already be in place yeah i i will say i've been thinking a lot about that expertise point in the wake of the response i got to my weeding of peter Thiel's zero to one uh which is the book that is of course being thunked into the recycling bin and today's wonderful sound clip many many a person chimed in to inform me that I was just doing this for engagement, that I was just doing this because I didn't care about the ramifications of what the, oh, libraries or censors crowd would do. And in reality, I am a person who has a very strong personal commitment to ethical development of technologists. I work at an engineering college. I teach ethics classes to engineering students. I spend a lot of my time getting engineering students to not make terrible design and development decisions that actively destroy the planet we live on. And in my conception of that, we need to not be giving shelf space to people like Peter Thiel, who would just as soon have us all living under a climate-controlled dome in some sort of Hunger Games-like hell, while he and Elon and Zuckerberg and, you know, whoever the fuck else, who's that guy? He's always Alexander. I can't think of his last name. Um, all the other, Is he like, the Ethereum fuck, guy? I think it's that guy, yeah. And then, like, all the other, like, weird apartheid, pro-apartheid, like, South African tech bros who, like, all are kind of in that same, like, Elon, Peter Thiel, like... The, those people do not have any place with influencing the hearts and minds of the students that I'm educating. And I believe very strongly that there are people who are entrepreneurs and successful technologists and successful startup creators and investors who are not Peter Thiel and who are people of color, who are queer, who are, have different abilities. And I would much rather have those be taking up the space in the library. And I think this also brings up um, the question of Cancel culture, everyone's favorite topic, cancel culture. There was some there were some folks who informed me that I was I was engaging in cancel culture, which was really interesting to me. You know, Peter Thiel being one of the richest men in the US, and also that book being in I don't even know how many copies of circulation in libraries and bookstores and you know in secondhand sales. There there's no way that a person of that platform and this is this is not a novel idea coming from me, but someone of that that sort of influence and reach uh, is not cancelable. <laughs> but to, to just bring it back around to the expertise idea, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years 
I, you know, I've been managing libraries for seven years. I, you know, have been thinking about technology and libraries and engineering and the relationship those things have to each other for over a decade. So this wasn't just some like willy nilly decision I just made on a bender to like get more people to follow me on Twitter to cancel Peter Thiel. Yeah, cancel Peter Thiel really because like I knew that was that was just gonna hashtag be my cancer winning. Peter Thiel. Yep, get it going. Do it. Hashtag Kathunk. The the funniest thing to me is like about these people that have said this to you, Callan, is that like Peter Thiel fucking hates academia and not for the right reasons either. Like not for like the reasons we all do assuming, you know, that we're all on the same page about that. Obviously no Peter Thiel hates academia because you know, he it's, it's, it doesn't, you know, espouse the worldview that he is, is trying to, to reach, you know, he literally, the, the Teal Fellowship pays people not to go to college. And so, you know, I think that really gets at, like, one of the things fundamentally here that we're talking about is that the discourse in libraries around intellectual freedom is just totally collapsed into this binary of, like, are you are you allowed to have the books or are you not? Are they there or are they not? And I was just thinking about this because I'm giving a talk to uh, the Delaware Library Association tomorrow morning from when we're recording this. And I looked up the ALA's actual definition of intellectual freedom. And it's so silly. It's like, I forget the words exactly, but it's something like to be able to get access to all viewpoints at all times. And I'm like, all of them? Like, you th- is that a possible thing to do? No. <laughs> but, but just it's like those just- like, like strip, like those like um, strip club um billboards <laughs> all viewpoints all the time <laughs> there's just a lot of viewpoints out there and like a lot of them are really bad and they don't need to be lifted up in any way and like we're just what a what a ridiculous so yeah i mean it it, it just to me is so much evidence of how we look at it in these very binary terms without thinking about who peter teal is and the yep. and what he what role he plays in the world and specifically with regard to uh startup culture and engineering and like young minds and whatever the fuck you know and also these people's jobs like that i mean neutrality like we we know this already but like these people will neutrality their way out of libraries existing anymore Right. I mean, and I, th- I love that you brought up the whole Peter Thiel hates education piece of this, too, because then this is something that comes out in that book. I work at an engineering education institution. Um, we have had students drop out of our program and go on to do some interesting things. We've also had some students graduate from our program and go on to do some interesting things from a ethical and moral standpoint that I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm not going to get into that in too, too much detail here. And I very much believe that, you know, my institution is certainly not perfect, but one of the things that we are pretty good at doing, and I think getting better at doing, is using engineering education as a time to prevent technologists from becoming these kind of like apocalyptic, dominionist, fascist, seasteading bros like fucking Peter Thiel. So I feel very, very justified and you know, not only in my in my beliefs, but also in my expertise here and knowing what I think is appropriate for my institution to fucking thunk that shit in recycling bin all the goddamn day long. And, you know, another thing that's really always fun with this, too, is like, you know, if any of you have ever also, you know, gone on, gone against like Elon or some of these other tech bros 
the people that come out of the woodwork in defense of these people is just mind boggling. And, you know, I mentioned to some of you that I, and some of you saw this unfolding, there were a lot of people who decided to, you know, do stuff like look me up, find where my college is, look at like copy screenshots of my collection development policy, threatened to defecate in the building. I think that was one of my faves. And I, I'm perfectly fine with having a a conversation on Twitter about, you know, why is it that I did this? Because like, no, but you know, when somebody sees a video of you doing some shit like this out of context, okay, that's fair. Like, they just want to know what, what the deal is. What are you thinking? Like, is it actually problematic? Whatever. Okay. Like, I'm willing to engage with you on that. But I, in this, in this instance, I saw two different modes of engagement. The, the more mild one was, oh my God, look at you, you're, you're doing librarianship all wrong, um, was sort of the introduction. And then the other thing was just these, uh, you know, these kind of like Peter Thiel fanboys who turned it into, you are homophobic and you, you know, are, you're throwing a, a book written by a gay man into the trash. He, what? I didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know next to nothing about him except he fucking sucks. I'm just owning him. He doesn't get to be gay. Not to be like no yeah, true he, Scotsman. He's voted off the queer island. He's voted. He, he's voted off. Well, this and this dynamic happens often. I mean, there. This is something. Gay dudes that... fucking suck a lot of the time. Not to be one of those people because I <laughs> genuinely dislike that line of discourse. But right, yeah, but like the whole line of of like you are doing this because of this person's identity. Um, Always fucking sucks. Just such a fucking complete and utter dismissal of one of the main Nazis yeah. was a gay dude. Like I like my beer cold, <laughs> my TV. Li- yeah, like Ernst Chrome was his name. Yeah. This this reminds me of like to get into a personal story. My wife has the worst time on social media. Like they they've just completely gotten off of it because every time they express an opinion, somebody pops up like a complete stranger to be like, "You're wrong." And at one point in time, they made a post criticizing some I think it was a TV show that happened to have a gay couple in it and got like this slew of anonymous comments. I think it was on Tumblr, which is just part of the course there of being like, you're homophobic because you didn't want them to kiss. And she's like, dude, I'm literally like so queer from top to bottom. And that wasn't even the criticism I was making <laughs> of it. Like You didn't support the corporate media. Yeah. And like, it's like she makes a comment on a YouTube video and somebody hops on and be like, well, your opinion doesn't count because you're fat. It's like uh, there's just such a disconnect between what's actually happening and what these people like want to believe. It is so immature. It's such immature. I love the people who always like the degree to which they cannot stand the fact you have your pronouns in your bio is just like the the deal they make about that is just so incredible. To be fair, a lot of really cool trans people that I also think that practice can be kind of annoying but for different reasons <laughs> yeah 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 totally i mean and i yeah. i agree like you know and we like in my college we do a lot of discussion about like how the pronoun go around is like not always the thing that people want to do but like these people are doing it because they you know what what always is with me is i i'm a cat lady i'm an otherwise unemployable cat lady i think it's my favorite um with pronouns and bio i have bangs and i have man hands so those are the things that, you know, qualify me for. And those for things obviously make you a bad librarian. Yep, they do. How did you get through library school? And the thing is, your bangs are even kind of like 
someone who is stupid could say they were turf banks. So how could they even make that judgment anyway? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out the man hands comment. Because my hands are actually like pretty small. <laughs> I have spider hands. Yeah, my hands are not large. Jay, that was rude. Don't call someone's banks turf banks. <laughs> also, they're they too really long to be bangs? turf bangs. That's fair. If they were like, Wait, are are turf bangs baby bangs? They're they're yeah, they're like around here. Oh man. Yeah, you're not brunette enough. <laughs> it's oh, <okay>. mainly it's mainly <laughs> no, brunettes who have turf bangs. It's a very specific type. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's like you you know those like gonna be throwing a little shade here but don't don't mind mm. me um like you know those like male female queer couples where it's like hipster podcast dude septum piercing turf bangs yeah that that visualization in your head not that i'm referencing anybody in particular and i feel a little bit like that might be me i used to back when i was a lady person <laughs> i used to have turf bangs so I I didn't know I did not know the the uh, the affiliation there, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to know it now. Yeah, I don't know how that got started. That'd be like an interesting like ethnography to find out how turf bangs became a thing. You know, is it like a big like a bright girl thing? I don't know. Is it that is it that that woman who spoke at the Seattle Public Library? Does she have turf bangs? I don't know. What was her you name? The one that Meg, Megan something right. Megan. I want to say I almost said Megan Fox, but that's definitely not it. I yeah. hope Megan Fox is in a turf. Megan Fox seems really cool. Yeah, I I'm a Megan Fox supporter. Yeah. What if the turf bangs came about because, like, maybe they're all AI generated avatars, and it's meant to make it seem like there are way more turfs on the internet than there actually are, mm-hmm. and like you know Robert Mercer or somebody is funding it. I think that my weed gummy just kicked in. Creating like a. You're engaging in cons- conspiratorial thinking. <laughs> I was about to say. Full circle, baby. Because, like, are there really that many people out there with turf bangs? Think about it. I feel it. like it's a bunch of, like, people who play ukuleles. Well, there's definitely a lot of those. Oh, but Jay's I, you know just what? coming I, for everyone tonight. I'm not I, a good gauge of this because I live in West Philly and there's a lot of ukuleles out here. Yeah, it's like, you know, white indie bands where like Man. the female vocalist has that quality to her voice, that ukulele. That's yeah. Yeah, that feels like that feels like my experience in Portland, Oregon, and in, in 2012. Yeah, I would say now it where I live, there is no culture and there are no musicians. So so no ukuleles. Hey. No ukuleles. No ukuleles. Uh, I'm gonna put that on yik yak. No ukuleles. Shrug. There was one ukulele lady. Uh, that I would see when I was driving into work. I think she was a student. And this is not like a high density ukulele lady area. And I was just like, I hope she's doing well. I hope her yarn blog is like really doing good. Like cause she would walk to work playing the ukulele. And I'm like, yeah, man, you enjoy college. College is fun. Good, good for her. <laughs> yeah. I'm supportive Pure of ukulele vibes. girls. There's all those people that go to college that like aren't really sure – like they've always been boring. And so they're like, all right, like I'm going to be the ukulele lady. Now I knew there was a dude at my college oh, yeah. that like wore a fish hat, like literally a fish, you know? And he's like, I'm a fish hat guy, you know, God bless. New kind of guy just dropped. 
Yeah. Yep. Because, I, I mean, and he wasn't wrong. Like, you would be like, oh, yeah, the guy with the... Nope. I mean, I didn't so talk to him. This morning, this morning, the student, one of my students was telling me about how... So, we're in a three-college consortium with Wellesley College and Babson College, and they were explaining to me how they can identify Babson and Wellesley students on site. And apparently, Babson students are all wearing gym clothes and or plaid and Wellesley students are wearing like some kind of knit tank top or what do you call halter knit halter top with parachute pants and possibly a bucket hat. That's fit. Are you at my high school? Yeah. Is this Wheatus? Yeah. Is it 2004? (laughs) I think it is. I mean, they're super, the Zoomers love Y2K. Yeah, also, okay. Bring back so I, trip pants. I spent, I spent this past weekend in Greenpoint, and the amount of like kick girl raver jeans and uh, like raver culottes is like the best way I can think of to describe it. Mm. Like parachute pants that are like cut off Sexy. at the ankle. I, it's, it's like, it's truly something to, it's something to see. Everybody looks like shit. It's great. Wow, you really did find the cultural history of turf bangs. You really found it. I mean, I had to go look. Oh, that was the first shit. link. I didn't actually do any in-depth 2018. research. And I'm not on my typical browser. So, like, we have to use, like, you know, Chromium for this. And so I just, like, have Chrome on my computer. Because, like, I was using Brave, and but, like, crypto happened. And also Opera's into crypto. Looking into Vivaldi, though. Anyway. Um, and so I was just, like, that was the first thing on Google, even though I normally don't use Google. Oh, wait. Is this because of Grimes? Turf bangs? The Grimes bring back trip pants. I lost the thread of the conversation. <laughs> no, we came back no. to the turf pants. I, I'm looking. Grimes at- is dating Chelsea Manning still, right? So every trans person is within like three degrees of separation with mm. with uh, mm. Grimes now. <laughs> every every single trans person. What all a of us. hop, Elon Musk to Chelsea Manning. Good for her. <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah. Uh, my favorite post about that though was. Chelsea Manning has just taken part in the most ambitious I can fix her project. (laughs) I'm waiting for the like conspiracy theory person, like people uh, who like think that Chelsea Manning is like a psyop or something. Um, How they're going to like work this into that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Trans psyop. We're coming for you. I'm just really happy for all she's been through that she gets to fuck a pop star now. And isn't she like a furry? She's like a trans lesbian furry who gets to fuck Grimes. Like she's Chelsea living is her not best a furry. life. Chelsea is not a furry. She can, had a fursona. She posted it one time. We'll just have to get Chelsea on and ask her. She's please. She, I would love that. <laughs> so go ahead, Allison. I'm sorry. I was just just could I just take my word for it. She's not a furry. <laughs> Allison, do you mm. have you fucked Chelsea Manning? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Thank you, Sadie, for saying it. Thank you. I have not fucked Chelsea. Give us, give me this like lavender marriage tea for tea. She just knows about shit, and she's very online, you know. So like, mm. it doesn't surprise me that somebody probably made her for Sona. Yeah, and I like, like you said, she is connected to literally every trans person in the U.S. Everybody, they all know each other, and she knows them all. <laughs> And so, so probably like a lot of people like make her cute stuff like that, right? Are we gonna talk about libraries, or are we just gonna talk about like more fun shit for the rest of the episode? I have what no idea we, when you guys have to go to bed. Yeah, about? what else is in our notes? <laughs> yeah, we're we're running close to an hour and a half now. 
Well, I see the thing about like uh, school libraries, and I'm not a school librarian at all. Well, the Fallout thing is resolved anyway. Oh, yeah. I've been focused on other shit this week, sorry. This was the Fallout thing, right? Yeah, they were like, oh, shit, okay, we won't do that. And um, so the moral of the story is that getting mad on Twitter, it works. Yeah, yeah, I want to I just put a pin in that because uh, I have heard from, what is, what is the thing that we call the, like, midwinter now, like, live, lo- love, library? <laughs> live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah, or was this at PLA? I can't remember. It was some, some It's recent- like a, like core there was some recent shit where there was or no 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 maybe i'm thinking of tracy d hall the executive director of ala made some comment in recent months about how the library twitter outrage machine is you know ruining everything and we don't see the work that like oif is doing and yada 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 there are like some cool people in oif but it's you know yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is where TJ's we get great. back to... You, yes, we love TJ. We were roommates at Code for Lib in 2020. <laughs> oh, that's dope. Yeah. TJ's TJ's old OG friend of ours. We did karaoke. Um, we yeah. did Paradise by the Dashboard Light together. Oh, uh, that really makes fun. a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, to bring this back to, like, the initial discussion about lead pipe, same deal... You yes, there are people on Twitter who say naughty words sometimes, or like maybe they're not as polite as you would like them to be. But the amount of advocacy that actually has been effective through the library Twitter outrage machine—I mean, there's there's a demonstrable list of shit that has gotten accomplished. I mean, in this follow-up thing, most recently, like ALA doesn't have to. This whole idea—I mean, this this all like reminds me of like this like kind of emergent cyber sociology field that kind of arose like 10 ish years ago. And at the time, researchers in this field were talking a lot about how there was this sort of like fetish fetishization of real life over digital life, and so digital life was somehow inferior and like not the same as real life. And whenever I hear shit like, you know, oh, the Twitter activists, when like, who cares about anything they're doing? They're doing it all wrong and they're not appreciating anything we're doing in real life. It's like, I just think of this, like this digital dualist, like sociology shit that I thought we had kind of collectively moved on from because I'm going into full Donna Haraway mode. <laughs> yeah. Like go. Yeah. Yeah. So when we had um, a couple episodes ago, we had the stand up comedian uh, Jake Flores on he's one of the hosts of pod damn america he's pretty cool and he loves fucking trolling like idiots on twitter yeah. like he is not afraid to like get piled on because it's like it's kind of like the sort of like anar- and i brought this up in the episode like anarch like um late uh, 19th century like anarchist tactics where they realized how absurd um, fascism is and so their tactics started highlighting absurdity so like with one thing we talked about about like library twitter outrage is that like sometimes yes it can be stupid because <laughs> it sometimes it feels like people just like want to have their takes heard i'm guilty of this too i love the sound of my own voice even if it's like digital not me speaking i'm an egotistical asshole but sometimes it's like, am I contributing anything? But also there are, and not, you know, not to be like, this is valid and this isn't, but like, you know, trolling or all going against 
one specific thing, yeah, that is an effective tactic, even if it's just like making fun of something. Like if we're all just like shitting on this lead pipe article, like yeah, some people were like doing like the valid criticism thing. You know, that was important, good for them. But for the people just like making fun of it, that's also like an effective tactic and not to be looked down on. One of my favorite days on Twitter was when we all came after Matt Iglesias. Oh, God. Yeah. That was a good one. Pure pure unhinged ideology. You know, and right. And we got that out of it. And like, it was a great (laughs) time. And like, also, you know, it's like nice to be like, oh, my people. They're so funny and great. And we need that part of the Twitter experience, the library Twitter experience too, you know? Yeah, like when it's not just you be like, I'm going to add my take now because I, you know, but when it's like more like we're doing this together, that's when it really works. Always the fundamental issue is something that is serious, even if it's like totally ridiculous and like absurd you know, like like the fucking like New York Times writing an op-ed once a year about God. like something to do with us, right? Like this is serious because it does impact us. Yeah. And so like, uh, you know, uh, like we feel it. We feel that impact. And so knowing that our people are all also agreeing that this is not okay and we're going to like totally roast this motherfucker. Yeah, it's just a, it's a really great solidarity feeling to me. Trolling. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I'll also put one out there for like, there's always a lot of when, whenever we have these kind of people waltzing in either intentionally or unintentionally and poking the library Twitter bear, I am a hundred percent there for the pylon personally. I mean, I don't necessarily always need to be a part of it, but I don't think that it's inherently unhealthy because I do think that there are, there are people who see the argument amplified to some extent. And like, sometimes they don't get it either. Like I was very, very disappointed to see a researcher that I actually have a lot of respect for um, or had a lot of respect for uh, come in on that conversation about that Seattle woman who was like talking about homeless people dying in the snow because the branches closed due to snowstorm. And, you know, a, a researcher who like looks at cyberbullying came in and tried to make this whole big point about how, you know, librarians got this all wrong. And, you know, we should take pity on this person because she's on the same side as we are and all this nonsense. And it what always kind of astonishes me in those those sorts of like third party takes is that there's no consideration of libraries at library workers as human beings with agency or like reasons for why they might be upset and like on a hair trigger anyway, because their lives are fucking like propping up the decayed social infrastructure of the U S 24 seven. Are we servants <laughs> or do we provide services? Yep. That was yep. blowing an air horn. There it is. <laughs> we need like an air horn. Kathunk. Yeah. Uh, air horn. Kathunk. Sounds like, you know, Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. I was already about to say that I'm sleepy and I need to go to bed soon. And I feel like that from Callan was like kind of a mic drop. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I I agree. Embrace absurdity and affirmation. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug that people should be looking out for that I should put in the notes before um, we close out? Or do you just want to go to bed? That is a great question. That's a great question. 
Um, well, one thing I will plug that is not especially related to this at all, but is something that I like people to know about is that I am the host of a, and this is like not the worst time of the week for all of you because of when you record this show, but I'm the host of a radio show from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern on a community radio station run in Boston called Uncertain FM. And if you are into punk, post-punk, post-hardcore, new wave uh, experimental electronic shit. This is this is your shit. This is your jam. The show's called Outback Witch House. Brought to you every Wednesday, eight to ten Eastern. Goth weirdos in the house. Yeah, represent. Callan's cool. so much cooler than me that that's what she had to plug, and I'm like, you can apply for my training program. That's, um, no, but LP's you should do cooler. that. There is one more. It's your last chance. There's one more LFP crash course, and then we don't have money to do it ever again. Well, at least. For the foreseeable future, we have no money set aside for that. So please come and check it out. In fact, two of the four people who are here on this very podcast have done various LFP institutional things. I don't know what we call them like as a gr- as a collective noun because there's like LFI and there's Crash Versus, but whatever. You yeah. did one of them. And I think it was nice. I think I've just hung it's out good with shit. you a lot. <laughs> well, then why don't <laughs> you just fucking do it? Well, you know, you do the you, if you t- if you join the training, then um, we uh, we instill the un- pure hun- unhinged ideology into you, and that and you'll yep. also get to be around the other people who are yeah. also getting. It's the, a gateway. It's a gateway drug. Yeah, yeah. This is long as hell. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Oh, I mean, no, whatever. no. This is great. It's great. I was just making fun of us. I really like. I like that we were able to to look at sort of a lot of different interlocking issues with this that i mean i don't think us library people spend enough time thinking about yeah everyone seemed to be having fun so i didn't want to try and normally rope it in an hour yeah i drank two glasses of wine that was fun we saw that (laughs) thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having us yeah it was great We, we loved it good night